The time is now. Volume 6, episode 114. This is Employment Law Now. I am Mike Schmidt, your host and the Vice Chair of Labor and Employment at Cozen O'Connor. Hope you are all doing well and uh, enjoyed this past long holiday weekend. For those of you who did have a long holiday weekend, I wanted to spend some time today moving a little bit away from COVID-19. Not that I won't be back to that, but because... Within all of the COVID-19 talk and developments, sometimes you get some really significant laws, significant developments that may fly under the radar for most people. And the one I want to talk about today is one of those because it is so significant. In the I will take things sometimes do get done in Washington, D.C. for $1,000 category, This is a new law that was just signed by both the Senate and the House of Representatives, was passed by both Houses of Congress, I should say, and is expected to be signed into law by President Biden shortly. It is called the Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Act of 2021. And because all employment law is about acronyms, right? You get the ADA, the ADEA, the FMLA. I've been searching and searching to try to come up with a way to shorten this very long name. And so I'm going to refer to it as the EFASASHA. The EFASASHA. The Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Act of 2021, the EFASASHA. I literally have heard no one call it that, but why follow when you can lead? So if you hear me talking in future episodes about the EFASASHA, this is what I mean. In any event, it is a bipartisan measure. Again, a little bit surprising that something in a bipartisan way uh, will get done in Washington, D.C. these days. It amends the Federal Arbitration Act that has been around for a long time and which has otherwise generally provided a default that arbitration agreements, pre-dispute arbitration agreements, are valid, irrevocable, and enforceable as a matter of federal law. And the U.S. Supreme Court has also issued multiple decisions over the years reinforcing the fact that pre-dispute arbitration agreements are valid and in fact class action waivers are valid as well when we talk about pre-dispute arbitration agreements what that means of course is that the arbitration agreement this agreement by two or more parties to arbitrate disputes was entered into before an actual dispute arose as opposed to a post-dispute arbitration agreement where you have some claim being made you have some dispute between the parties And the parties at that point, once the dispute has arisen, say, you know what, let's see if we can resolve this through arbitration. Post-dispute arbitration agreements are not under attack, and they are not subject to this new law, EFASASHA. Instead, it is about 
pre-dispute arbitration agreements and pre-dispute class action waivers. So at its core, and it is a relatively brief piece of legislation, which is also somewhat uncommon coming out of Washington, D.C., at its core, it prohibits pre-dispute arbitration agreements and pre-dispute class and collective action waivers. But not in all cases, not in all employment cases, only in two types of situations. One, if there is an allegation of a sexual assault, referred to under this new amendment as a sexual assault dispute, or when there are allegations of sexual harassment, referred to in this new law as a sexual harassment dispute. Sexual assault disputes are defined as a dispute involving a non-consensual sexual act or sexual contact, including allegations that the victim lacked capacity to consent. A sexual harassment dispute is defined under this new law as a dispute relating to conduct that is alleged to constitute sexual harassment under applicable federal, state, or tribal law. So they're not looking to reinvent the wheel and define what is sexual assault or what is non-consensual sexual conduct or what is sexual harassment. However those terms are defined under applicable federal, state, or tribal law, that's what those terms mean for purposes of this new Federal uh, Arbitration Act amendment. And essentially what it says is, quote, at the election of the person alleging conduct constituting a sexual harassment dispute or sexual assault dispute or the named representative of a class or in a collective action alleging such conduct, no pre-dispute arbitration agreement or pre-dispute joint action waiver, also known as class action waiver, shall be valid or enforceable with respect to a case which is filed under federal, tribal, or state law and relates to the sexual assault dispute or the sexual harassment dispute. What else is significant in this, as I said, relatively brief piece of legislation that has passed Congress? Well, the enforceability of an agreement to which this new amendment applies, in other words, decisions over whether a particular claim or a particular arbitration agreement is either effective or not valid, as a matter of this new law, that is going to now be determined by a court rather than an arbitrator. Why is that important? Why is that noteworthy? Because typically arbitration agreements have what's referred to as a delegation clause. And the delegation clause typically says we are going to delegate the authority to determine the arbitrability of any particular claim asserted to the arbitrator. And the feeling is when you have that kind of delegation duty, more likely than not, you are going to have arbitration being upheld because it's the arbitrator who is determining questions of arbitrability. But under this new amendment, again, F. Sasha, it is a court rather than an arbitrator who must determine the validity and enforceability of a particular arbitration agreement to which this new amendment applies. 
Another significant aspect, and it's the last paragraph of this new amendment going to applicability. First, it is effective immediately upon signing by President Biden, and we expect, again, President Biden to sign this quickly once it gets to his desk. He has voiced support for this notion and this particular legislation. But there's also a question as to whether there is some partial retroactivity involved here. So the amendment says that this act, quote, and the amendments made by this act shall apply with respect to any dispute or claim that arises or accrues on or after the date of enactment of this act, end quote. So there's a question. It doesn't necessarily say that it applies to every lawsuit or every arbitration that is filed either as of or prior to or after the date of enactment of this act. It says it applies to any dispute or claim that arises or, or accrues on or after the date of enactment of this act. So the dispute or the claim itself must arise for the first time after the date of this enactment, after February 2022, assuming that President Biden still signs it this month. If that's the case, if the claim or the dispute arises or accrues after the date of enactment, that would arguably invalidate arbitration provisions and agreements that were entered into before the enactment of this new law. So again, if you have a pre-existing arbitration agreement, but the dispute or claim arises or accrues for the very first time on or after the date that this act becomes law, it doesn't matter that you had a pre-existing arbitration provision. Arguably, you cannot have arbitration of the sexual assault or the sexual harassment allegations. But there is a question about what that means, dispute or claim that arises or accrues. It does not suggest, at least to me at the moment, that if you had an arbitration or if you had a filing, some proceeding filed already, if you had the dispute or the claim that arose before this enactment, that doesn't necessarily mean that the employee or the plaintiff or the claimant can now all of a sudden stop the arbitration or render the arbitration agreement invalid and force it to go to court. Looking at the actual language here, the dispute or the claim has to arise or accrue for the first time after the date of enactment of this act. But I suppose there will be arguments on both sides of that coin as we go through the subsequent days and weeks after this is signed into law. But there are six takeaways that I think are also worth noting once you close the book on the actual language of this act. First, takeaway number one, Again, keep in mind that what I just read to you before says that this is all at the election of the person who is alleging conduct that constitutes sexual harassment or sexual assault. That would seem to me that the person who is challenging an arbitration agreement must affirmatively challenge it. It doesn't just void arbitration agreements per se. The person who's challenging the validity of the arbitration agreement because of the nature of the claims asserted arguably has to affirmatively challenge it. So there is a question to me as to whether that challenge requirement is subject to principles of waiver or latches 
or judicial estoppel, something, if the person does not challenge it in time or after a reasonable period of time. So the answer to that, I think, remains to be seen. Takeaway number two, I think employers and organizations that have arbitration agreements, and if they are in the middle of pending cases or there's just been a case that began or you had successfully moved to compel arbitration in a case involving sexual harassment or sexual assault allegations, I need, think you need to think about the uh, applicability of all of this from a strategic standpoint in terms of either how you're valuing the case or how you're going to proceed strategically. As I said, to me, the way this is worded, if the dispute or the claim already arose, already accrued before the enactment, I don't know that you have anything to worry about if you are already in a pending case. But I expect that attorneys for employees, attorneys for plaintiffs, will attempt to argue that the retroactivity applies even to pending cases. Takeaway number three, when you're looking at your existing arbitration agreements, if you have them, consider now expressly carving out sexual harassment and or sexual assault claims. Because again, the paragraph that I read to you before, no pre-dispute arbitration agreement or pre-dispute joint action waiver shall be valid or enforceable with respect to a case which is filed under federal, tribal, or state law, and listen here, and relates to the sexual assault dispute or the sexual harassment dispute. So, question to me, does that invalidate an entire arbitration agreement if someone is making a sexual assault or a sexual harassment allegation and the arbitration agreement in and of itself covers those types of claims? Does that mean the entire arbitration agreement is invalid because you didn't expressly carve them out? I would argue no. I would argue that only in cases where sexual harassment or sexual assault allegations are being made, in those cases, if they accrue or arise after the enactment of this law, you can't proceed with arbitration if the plaintiff or the individual doesn't want to, and that it does not completely invalidate the remainder of the arbitration agreement. But give some thought to whether you want to expressly carve out sexual harassment or sexual assault allegations. What about cases where you have a hybrid in terms of the type of claims being asserted? You have sexual assault or you have sexual harassment allegations, but you also have age discrimination or race discrimination or disability harassment claims. Because of this term and relates to the sexual assault dispute or the sexual harassment dispute, one might argue that if those other claims in your hybrid case have a sufficient nexus to, sufficiently relate to, the sexual assault or the sexual harassment allegations, none of those claims can be subject to arbitration, and all of them have to be subject uh, to court proceedings. Again, I would be arguing in such a situation that to the extent these other claims in your hybrid proceeding do not necessarily relate, the facts underlying those other claims do not relate necessarily to sexual assault or sexual harassment allegations, then they can be split up between court proceedings and arbitration if that is something you want to do either strategically or from an economic standpoint.
Takeaway number four, I have not seen anywhere in this particular legislation anything about jury waivers. Now, certainly, it talks about pre-dispute joint action waivers, again, which mean your, your class action waivers and what you think about when you think of class action waivers, but it doesn't seem to say anything prohibiting jury trial waivers. So even in cases that would not be subject to arbitration, again, sexual assault, sexual harassment allegations, consider adding a jury trial waiver in your agreement if you're so inclined so that you can at least avoid what you were probably looking to avoid in part, and that was the jury trial, the potential runaway jury, even if you do have to go to court. Takeaway number five, it remains to be seen whether this is a matter of start small, then go big. In other words, does Congress just start with this subset of employment cases, sexual assault and sexual harassment, and then later on, once it's gotten past this first step, later on try to further, further erode arbitration of a broader set of employment disputes, namely all types of harassment and all types of discrimination. Whether you are in favor of arbitration or not, whether you believe that there is a significant problem today still in 2022 when it comes to sexual assault or sexual harassment allegations, and I certainly do, there is a question, I think, as to why are we differentiating sexual assault, sexual harassment claims from other types of discrimination or harassment. Would somebody argue that an age discrimination case or a race discrimination case, you don't want to keep those from being litigated or resolved in the more private arena of arbitration? Are people arguing that those kind of cases have less of a need for transparency than sexual assault or sexual harassment allegations? So again, it remains to be seen whether this is where the buck stops when it comes to ending forced arbitration of employment disputes or whether this is just the start of it. And then finally, takeaway number six, as an organization, as an employer, continue to focus on the things that tend to minimize these kinds of cases in the first place. We all know that you're never going to unfortunately be able to completely avoid being on the wrong side of a lawsuit, but there are things that you can continue to do as an organization to at least minimize the number of cases that you have in the first place. Make sure you have adequate policies and complaint procedures for your workforce to follow and for your workforce to know that you as an organization take these issues seriously. Secondly, make sure you don't just have paper policies. Make sure you are distributing the policies. Make sure you are training folks in your organization on these policies, not just the C-suite executives, not just the HR and benefits professionals or your in-house counsel team if you have, but make sure that your frontline supervisors, your frontline managers, those who are in the trenches on a day-to-day -day basis with your rank-and-file employees, make sure they are trained as well about the do's and don'ts, the cans and can'ts about what should be going on in an appropriate workplace in 2022. And then lastly, you will accomplish at least minimizing the types of cases 
If your organization values good and open communication, if your organization values a workplace where your employees feel comfortable, feel safe, and feel as if they have good morale. Now again, this is not just a utopian ideal. Not everybody wakes up from that alarm clock starting to sing a song from Mary Poppins about how great it is to go to work that morning. And I don't know why Mary Poppins just came into my head. But in the long term, and as best you can, if you are creating a culture in your work environment that promotes good and open communication between the employer and the employees, you have sufficient policies and complaint procedures so that your employees know you take these issues seriously, and those who work in the organization are trained as to what the expectations are with respect to the workplace and the culture of your organization, you will be far along the path of being able to minimize the types of claims that are at issue here and hopefully minimize the number of arbitration proceedings or court proceedings that you will be involved in. I hope this is helpful. We will likely be hearing a lot more over the coming days, weeks, and months when it comes to the FSASHA, the Ending Forced Arbitration of Sexual Assault and Sexual Harassment Act of 2021. I hope this was useful to you. I hope this was helpful to you. Until the next time, I also hope that all of your labor is productive.